0: let's pray
1: father as we gather here on this labor day weekend we thank you that you created us by your wisdom and mercy to have a purpose in life and that purpose was to work and be productive and that you bless that work and that you will use it in some way for your kingdom so help us to see work not only as a way to to make a living but also as a way to to honor you and to obey your commandments. Be with us in worship, Father, and speak to us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Break down barriers and open our hearts to respond to your claim on our lives now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And as you are, this being uh, not only Labor Day weekend, but it also starts uh, a season of prayer for our state missions. And uh, in, this, in this particular time, we remember missionaries across our state who were serving. And uh, I think we have a video to help introduce us to one such missionary.
2: Hi, my name is James Forrester. I serve as a campus minister through the Baptist Collegiate Ministries, supported by the Georgia Baptist Convention. I'm involved in a unique ministry here at North Georgia College. I get the opportunity to serve as a volunteer chaplain with the Boar's Head Brigade. I was a cadet here, 88 to 94, and know what it's like to live in the dorm, live a life on campus, and also how to intertwine that with a campus ministry. We have cadet chaplains who actually come in and serve and then are commissioned as officers through the U.S. Army. We've had four cadet chaplains that served and are now chaplains in the military. The U.S. Army is sending out our missionaries across the world to serving countries that may be closed uh, to regular missionaries. We've also had many of our cadets that graduated that did not seek a commission in the military, but are serving in ministries as youth ministers, pastors, and also in seminaries. For Wednesday nights, we have a Bible study. This past semester, we had 30 cadets that were coming to this Bible study as we talk through first and second Peter. Once a month, we have a prayer breakfast with over 250 cadets in attendance. But the real ministry
3: happens one-on-one. Uh, One of my guys is named Kyle Treadway. I served as the battalion chaplain this past semester. Uh, I'm a history major. Um, I will go to Fort Lee, Virginia for my training. It's about four months long. And uh, I'm actually on an obligation with the Georgia National Guard, so I'll get to stay in the state and serve as an Army officer in the National Guard couple friends invited me to uh, the BCM House, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry House, just across the street from campus. And uh, that's where I met uh, James Forrester, uh, one of the campus ministers and uh, the chaplain for the Corps of Cadets. It's just really helped me stay strong in my faith. Um, I took on the role as the battalion chaplain uh, for the Corps of Cadets, and uh, I really tried my hardest to uh, invest what I had learned, uh, and then especially digging into the Bible, digging into just reading, uh, having one-on-one time. Bible studies the, uh, the leadership and discipleship that I've learned while in the Corps and as a student here in North Georgia uh, are already applying to my role as an officer uh, and a cadet uh, I just got married and my wife and I are very committed to the Lord and, and serving in every capacity that he has us
2: I want to thank the Georgia Baptist Convention for their support I'm a campus minister through the Baptist Collegiate Ministries in this unique ministry to cadets But we have 24 campus ministers statewide, serving on 53 campuses. That means every year 7,500 students come through the doors of our Baptist Collegiate Ministries. Recent stats show that for every five and a half students, one comes to faith in Christ. That's because of your faithfulness to give to the cooperative program and your faithfulness to pray for these ministries. Continue to pray for the cadets here at North Georgia College, for this ministry as we reach out to them. Pray for them as they serve in our military. Continue to pray for our campus ministers. And I want to thank you as we move forward in this ministry.
0: We'd like to take this opportunity to welcome you. If you're our guest, we want you to know that you hold a special place of honor with us today. We'd like for everyone, though, to do us a favor and take your bulletin, and there's a little registration flap in it. If you would just take that and remove that and just kind of rip it off like that and then fill that out. And then when the offering plate comes by, if you'll place that in there, there's a place on the back of that sheet for you to put prayer needs. And we have a team praying right now during the worship service, and Uh, If you'd like for someone to pray for you this morning, be sure and write that on there, and they'll get to that before we leave the worship. Right now, we're going to take an opportunity for you to greet each other. We're going to ask our guests if you would do us a favor and just remain seated for a moment so our members can find you and give you a welcome. And then uh, our ushers will um, also—no, they won't. We don't do that anymore. (laughs) need to pay attention to what we're doing. Anyway, y'all greet each other.
1: boys and girls how are you this morning it's so good to see you in God's house today to worship him did you come to Sunday school and enjoy Sunday school and now we're in his house to worship him and we'll have children's worship in a minute Miss Sabina will take you if you'd like to go but first we want to do happy club and I think Will Collins has the bag let's see Will's visiting all right let's see what Will brought to share with us today all right Uh uh-oh All right, Will, what is this? Is this one of those land, what do they call them? A land walker from Star Wars, is that right? And you brought this today, why? Did you want to stump the preacher? Maybe. <laughs> is there anything else in there? Or is that it? All right, let's see. Oh, there is. What is this? Whoops. Is that something else from Star Wars? He goes on top of the, what do you call it, the land rover, land walker? Oh, he goes on. And these things, I remember the Star Wars movie. they go around and, choo, choo, choo. but then uh before I start playing here um, han solo and and they they uh like trip them up and they fall down and and they end up uh, winning don't they and and all the land rovers fall all over and explode and lose and uh, I really don't know what I want to say about that, but uh you know, I guess, I guess what I can say, Will, is that look at, you know, with all the armor and all the uh, camouflage and all the weaponry and everything that is, that is on this thing, it still falls and loses. And that reminds me that, that God prepares us, and he, he has weapons, and he has armor, and he has shields for us to wear, and because of that, we don't have to be afraid of evil. Because just like this um, weapon of the, of the evil empire, Satan has weapons too. And they look frightening and they look scary and they look like they might win when they attack us and take away our joy and take away our peace and make us worry and get us all upset. But if we just remember how God watches after us and protects us and the, and the shield and the armor that he has for us, then we're going to be okay and we don't have to be afraid. Because God is in control and his power is greater than all the forces of evil that they can bring against us. So I guess when I look at this, this frightening weapon of the evil empire from Star Wars, it just reminds me that God's going to take care of us and we don't have to be afraid of anything. So let's pray and thank God for his protection. And you pray after me. Dear God, thank you for loving us and for protecting us. Help, us. Help us not be afraid. In Jesus' name we pray. Name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Will, thank you for sharing your Star Wars toys. Uh-huh. Miss Sabina, it's a girl's turn. Yes, Allie, Where's Allie? 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 Right here. Will you take Allie. something home and bring back something special next, next week? All right. Thank you. Boys and girls, you can go with Miss Sabina in children's worship.
4: let she-
5: says, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. Isn't it wonderful to know that he gives us an abundant life? We're going to sing about that now as we stand together and sing hymn number 15, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Please stand.
6: my, my, after Suzanne singing great is thy faithfulness and then the congregation putting a crown on it. Oh, what a marvelous Lord we serve. Would you join me, please? Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you, Lord, for your abundance of blessings. Lord, we ask that you would watch over our families as they travel. May your hand of comfort be with those who are suffering loss at this time thank you Lord for willingness of the people to serve thank you Lord that we have an opportunity to serve you even in our declining age and sometimes declining health but at this time we just want to thank you Lord that you make an abundance of funds available to us and that you make us mindful Lord that we are not to be wasteful but we are to give to you Further your work. Thank you for those willing to serve you and forgive us for our failures. In Christ's name, amen.
1: so worshipful thank you reminding us how awesome is our God well I know we have been looking at at books of the Bible and a different sermon from each book in succession and if you have kept up you know that I should be in the book of Titus this morning However, two weeks ago, I was reading through 1 Timothy in preparation for the sermon two weeks ago, and I saw this passage and thought, what a wonderful passage for Labor Day. So if you will indulge me, I'm going to back up two books in the New Testament and pick up another sermon from 1 Timothy, and then next week, we'll catch back up with Titus. The sermon's entitled Providing for the Family, and there's this nugget of instruction to Timothy in uh, the fifth chapter of Paul's first letter to him, telling him, remember Timothy is left behind at the church in Ephesus, and uh, instructions for leading the church, and these are specific instructions for how the church is to care for one another, and how how the leaders in the church are to care for their families. So let's take a look at it, 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 through 8. The sermon is entitled, Providing for the Family. Honor widows who are real widows. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn their religious duty to their family and make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. She who is a real widow and is left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, whereas she who is, who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives." Command this so that they may be without reproach. Verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives and especially for his own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty strong, isn't it? He who does not provide for his relatives, especially his own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let's think about that. Shall we bow together? Father, as we gather here today, we realize that work, you didn't intend for it necessarily to be drudgery or monotony, but you created us so that work fulfills us, completes us, and brings us a sense of satisfaction. Help us to see work the same way you see it and not to avoid it but to embrace it, to provide for our families, our children, grandchildren, our parents, grandparents, and to be a witness to those around us of our love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever really noticed this passage in 1 Timothy 5 before, but it is a reminder that we are to provide for our families not only emotionally or spiritually, but we're also to provide for them physically, materially. Verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially his own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You've got to realize what the context is here. Remember, the early church was very poor. And in the early church, there were widows who had no other means of support. Your husband in that day was your was your support. For women, your husband was your identity. And if their husbands passed away and they didn't have any family members to take care of them, then they were at the mercy of those around them. So if widows had lost their means of support and their families neglected them, it came to the church to lift them up. And and by caring for their families and for the church caring for each other, it provided a testimony to the world of the love that Christians say they have for one another. There was no welfare program. There was no government state that that provided for those who had no other resources. And so churches were there to care for those around them, to care for especially members of the the body of faith. And and incidentally, that's one reason we take up an offering at the end of every Lord's Supper. It is a benevolent offering for members of our church family so that we might care for one another. And in doing so, show a testimony to those in our community that we are the church built on love. Now, as is so often the case, when God gives us instructions, we Christians somehow manage to figure out how to take it to one extreme or the other. We always do that. And so even with this command, we have Christians who who we would call hedonists, and they have figured out a way to use a command like this to pamper every sensual appetite and desire they might have. God wants us to have all of our needs. This is a need. I'm going to get it for myself. And somehow we rationalize everything as a need. On the other hand are those whom we call ascetics. And those use religion to deny themselves, to, uh, to say, I'm going to do without this because I love God more. I don't think God wants us to to do either of those extremes. I think he realizes we have physical needs. Those needs have to be met. There is a balance between the two, and he wants us to find that balance. Specifically, he wants us to provide for our families. So I have some questions I want to ask you today to kind of model us through these verses. And as I pose them for you, I want you to think about them and see how well you're doing. The first question is, are you productive? Notice I didn't say, are you working hard? I'm just asking, are you productive? I had a conversation with someone this week and, uh, you know, we, we said, you know, there's a way that you can work smarter without having to work longer. And by working smarter, I mean, take the time that you have at the office and use it to its fullest, uh, Opportunities and don't take away time for your family because, listen, your employer will take as much time from you if you're salaried, they'll take as much time from you as you're willing to give, and your family suffer as a consequence. So, work smarter. But on the other hand, there's no excuse for a lazy Christian, there's no excuse for laziness in the life of a Christian. I heard someone say about a, a fellow. Um, church member one time if he worked half as hard at doing something productive as he did at avoiding work he could really accomplish something and you know someone like that they they spend all their wheels trying to avoid work when if they just put their shoulder to the wheel and bear down for a little bit they could really accomplish something and be productive so many idealize this this idea of uh, a full-time life of just playing let me tell you, I think there'd be nothing more miserable in the world than to have wake up in the morning and have absolutely nothing to do for a long time. Now, maybe a day off occasionally is, I see some of you retired smiling right now, but you have found something to do. You would not just sit at home bored, I know. Um, I have seen folks who retired and had nothing to do and, and immediately their lives began to unravel. If you are retired, I know that there is something that you have found to do to bring your life some kind of meaning and fulfillment. God ordained it. Genesis 3, verse 19 says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. So don't see work as drudgery. See it as not only a responsibility, but as a privilege, because God designed us to be fulfilled by our work. I had a New Testament professor. I remember it very, very specifically. Gerald Borchert was writing a commentary on a book in the New Testament. And the next day in class, um, he, he made a comment that I'll never forget. He said, you know, when I laid my head down on my pillow at night, I had the satisfaction of knowing that I had given that day and the fulfillment of that project. And I had a sense of, of fulfillment and satisfaction when the day was finished. And since that time, when I, when I lay my head down on the pillow at night, even with days off, I try to reflect back and think, what have I ha- accomplished today? What have I um, done to, to have some sense of satisfaction that the day was not wasted, but it accomplished something for God and for his glory? God has called us to do good, honest labor. And for that purpose, we find our fulfillment. So are you being productive? Secondly, are your priorities in order? And lest you get confused, I have listed your priorities for you in your bulletin. They are very clearly, very simply, God, spouse, children, work, in that order. First God, second spouse, third children, fourth work. And I have heard people combine two and three and say, God, family, work. But I I want to divide that up even more clearly and say I think you need to put your spouse ahead of your children because I have seen people who put their children ahead of their spouse and their family gets turned upside down and suffers as a result. And as I have said so often, the best thing you can do for your children is to love your spouse because when your children see uh, husbands and wives who love each other, it gives them a security and provides for them and provides a model that they will follow the rest of their lives. I had a friend who was interviewed at a church in South Carolina. He was a minister. And the church asked him about his priorities. And he gave you this list in the order I gave you. He said, well, God comes first, my family comes second, and the church comes third. And he said, he called me. He was very disappointed because apparently that church didn't like that sequence. And they, he didn't hear any more from them after that. And I tried to console him. I said, hey, listen, friend, your priorities aren't out of order. Theirs are. If they think that you ought to put your work ahead of your family, then then what they may have is a minister who spends a lot of time at the office while their families are home unraveling. And no church, if they stop and think about it, wants a pastor's family as a model like that. They want God first, spouse second, family and church third. I heard a, a story about a man who was at a Christmas party and apparently he had had plenty to drink and his. His speech was fairly well lubricated, and he was complaining about his family. Basically, he had worked long hours, made a lot of money. His family suffered, but he bought them a lot of things. He gave them a lot of things. And his, his, uh, he was bemoaning the fact with his wife that his children didn't love him. So he said, you know what I've done? He said, I'm going to get even with, with my children. I have rewritten my will, and I am leaving the home and the limousine and the chauffeur and everything to pro- take care of them to the only member of my family left that loves me, my dog. And I thought, when I heard that story, what a shame. I said, two mistakes were made. First of all, he didn't love his family the way he should. And secondly, his family didn't honor and obey him the way they should. And as a result, what a shame. Are your priorities in order? Put God, you know, some people will say, wait a minute, if we put work last on the list, is that really elevating the importance of work? Yes, it is. <clears throat> because if you honor God and you take time for your family, then you will be more productive in your work than you would if you just worked 80 hours a week and then let God and family fit in where they may. That's not what God intended. He wants us to work, but he wants us to honor him. And incidentally, this is is where you're going to spend most of your time. Aren't you going to live forever with God? And aren't you going to spend a long time with your spouse? And and aren't your children going to be with you maybe 20, 30 years in the home and then move out and then you're still going to have a relationship with them? And then how long are you going to spend with work? So you're prioritizing things in the way that you spend the most time with in reality. God comes first. He's eternity. He's eternity and then spouse, and then children, and then work. Thirdly, are you a positive role model? And the reason I say that, parents especially, is because I believe your children are looking and learning from you by what you do. Not what you say, but by what you do. There are no instruction manuals in life. I say this, incidentally, to uh, couples that I'm uh, going through premarital counseling with. What kind of relationship do you see your parents having? I ask them. What kind of husband and father is your father? What kind of wife and mother, girls, is your mother? Because you're learning how to be a husband and father from your father, guys. You're learning how to be a wife and mother, girls from your mother. That's just the way it is. You can change if you want to, but you have to be very intentional about it. Otherwise, by default, you will find yourself repeating and saying and doing things that your parents did. So parents, I want you to be aware that your children are learning from you. And with respect to work, they learn how to work. They learn, with respect to possessions, they learn how to relate to money and how to spend money and how to save money and how to invest. And even more so, I'm not just talking about material possessions here. I'm talking about your lifestyle. Do you exercise? How healthy do you eat? Do you have to take a drink in the evening or a pop a pill to relax? Don't be surprised if one day your children grow up doing the same thing because they will imitate you. And so the question I want to ask you now is, if you see your children imitating you, will you be proud of them when they do so? If not, do something about it now so that you might show them how to worship, how to tithe, how to love your spouse, how to relate to your work, how to take care of yourself physically. Because everything you do, your children will imitate. Fourth question, are you prepared for uncertain times? And what I mean by that is look at our economy right now. We, there are always times of, of uh, doing well, and then there are always time of, of economic downturn, and we're in one of those now. Reversals are part of life. It's not always going to be up and up financially. But the good news is, is when things are tight and when things are tough, it tends to pull your family more closely together. That was the case for Susan and me when we were in seminary. I had a great job. Uh, I had a church about 40 miles from seminary we drove out to on the weekends, and we would drive out on Saturday and spend the night in a, in a, a mobile home next door to the church and preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, go visiting, and they paid us, are you ready? They paid us $100 a week. It just occurred to me, our finance committee is getting ready to work on next year's budget. Don't, don't pay any attention to what I just said. <laughs> Ignore that. Susan uh, did a, a Christmas musical for them one year, and it went will, really well, and they raised us $25 a week. We took $125 home every week. I actually had to chase the treasure around every Sunday to get a check, and, uh, and you know what? We were happy. We had a little money to go to the movies. We had a little money to go out to eat. Uh, we had, you know, $125. This is more money than we know what to do with. We were happy, and, and we look back on those times, and, and I guess they were times of some kinds of hardships, but hardships bring couples and families together strengthens relationships, and God rewards you for being faithful in the tough times, even more so than in the the good times. Fifthly, let me step on some toes here this morning. I know you always like that. Are you appreciative of what your spouse does? Are you appreciative of your spouse's labors? What I'm talking about, there is, is if your partner's working, are you appreciative of what they do? I'm aware in, in my last church, of a, and this happens so often with, with newlywed couples, they, uh, they bought a home more expensive than they could really afford. The husband worked a couple of jobs to try to pay the bills. The wife was looking around at her friends who belonged to clubs and went on expensive vacations, and she was never satisfied. And so she was always complaining and criticizing, and the husband was doing all he could, and it just led to such unhappiness in their family unit. It just wasn't enough no matter what he did. So now, husbands, before you elbow your wives, let me turn the tables and ask this question. If both husband and wife work outside the home, husbands, when you come home, do not expect to sit in the recliner and pull out the leg adjustment. And, and read the newspaper and watch the Braves while you watch your wife clean and cook and, and take care of the children and do all those household chores by herself. That's not fair. If both of you work outside the home, both of you have a responsibility to share the responsibilities inside the home. So now both of you can elbow each other. Household chores should be divided evenly and appreciate. What your spouse does, both outside the home and inside the home. Sixth and finally, let me ask you about your relationship with your parents. Are you caring for them? How well are you taking care of your parents who spent so much time and money and energy taking care of you and raising you? In my last church, there was an elderly man whose wife died. And, she, and he married a woman whose husband had died. And it was a wonderful marriage. And I, I had the pleasure, the privilege of of uniting them in, in marriage, that ceremony. Well, his children weren't happy. They saw the this new wife is coming in and interfering with them, perhaps even interfering with the inheritance. I don't know. But they didn't come to the wedding. They criticized her. They cut him off from themselves and their children and they succeeded in making him so miserable that he eventually divorced his his second wife and came back home to be with them I was friends with those children at that time (laughs) so uh, I come up to the daughter one day and I said you know what you got to think about what you're doing here because What are you teaching your children about how they should treat you the day you do something they don't approve of? Did you hear me? How are you, what are you teaching your children about how they should one day treat you if, God forbid, you do something that they might disapprove of? How you treat your parents, how you treat your grandparents is a model that you're providing for your children and your grandchildren. Very clearly in verse 4 it says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn their religious duty to their own family and make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. If you honor your parents, if you take care of them, if you provide for them, if you visit them, if you spend time with them, Not only are you doing what God commands, but you're also modeling for your children what one day you hope they will do for you. So, on this Labor Day weekend, you have the blessed privilege of providing for your family. And I want you to see it as a privilege, and I want you to see work as an opportunity to take care of them. A farmer was on his deathbed. And he called his two sons to his bedside. And uh, he he said, I have divided my home and my farm equally between you two. He said, but the bulk of my wealth is hidden somewhere in the ground, not more than 18 inches below the surface. He said, but for the life of me, I can't remember where in the field I put it. So a few days later, he passed away, and the sons looked at each other, and they, as you would imagine, picked up shovels and went out to the field and began digging. And they began turning over the earth, down to about 18 inches, and they turned it over, and they kept looking, and they kept digging, but they never found the treasure. Well, it came time to sow for the, for the growing season, so they said, since we've already got the field turned over, we might as well put some seeds in the ground, and they did, and because their ground was turned over so well, they had a better harvest than any of their neighbors. Well, in the off-season, they continued digging, they continued during, dig, uh, turning over the ground, and And once again, it came time to plant, and they planted, and and once again, they had a wonderful harvest. And this went on year after year after year, never finding the buried treasure, but always digging the earth and planting the seed and reaping a wonderful harvest until older and wiser, finally the two brothers realized that the real treasure only comes as a result of hard work. That was the treasure the father had given and the lesson he taught the privilege and opportunity of hard work i hope you know what that's like i hope that no one has spoiled you and taken care of you and and treated you in such a manner that that you feel like you don't ever need to do anything because if you feel like that you'll never know what it's like to be productive and god intended us to be fulfilled by honest labor. It's Labor Day weekend. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Let's bow together. Father, I thank you for a calling and the opportunity to fulfill it. And I realize in our economic downturn, there's unemployment among us and folks who would love to work if given that privilege And I pray you'll provide for them and help us as a church to take up that slack and do so. And then there are others of us who have jobs but don't see it as as fulfilling a calling. Just see it as going through the motions. Father, help us to see wherever you've placed us as an opportunity to do ministry, as an opportunity to do our best and bring glory to you and to your name and to your kingdom. Help us not avoid work out of laziness. But put our hand to the plow and be faithful in fulfilling the calling you put before us. So give us enough work to fill our lives. And give us enough life to complete our work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our invitational hymn this morning is number 312, Softly and Tenderly. Jesus is calling, and he may be calling some of you here this morning. Maybe you've heard that call and you've responded recently and you want to, to come forward publicly. Maybe in the course of this message, you've decided that God has called you to become a part of this church family. Whatever desire you have, whatever calling he's placed, you respond. 312, I'll be at the front. You come as we stand together. public here this morning. Uh, as you are, let's, let's be mindful of our church family that uh, so many of them are traveling today with the Labor Day holidays, and uh, I've already heard of, you know, from the news about accidents, serious accidents, so we do want to be uh, prayerful for those who are on the road this holiday weekend. Um, there is no evening worship service tonight, so you'll have an opportunity to spend that time with your families. And right now, though, we want you to celebrate with us as I introduce David Rakestraw. David, come and stand with me, please. David came to see me a few weeks ago and he had invited Jesus into his heart. And Jesus is there now and he is ready to join the church and be baptized as a public testimony of what Jesus has done for him. So he's coming for church membership and as a candidate for baptism. Charles Hill, come and stand. Charles is also coming uh, for church membership. He's coming from a different denomination, so he's coming by baptism. So he stands here today saying that, that he, is, he has been coming to this church and visiting and, and uh, wants to become a part of it and for you to be his church family. Diane, Deborah Martin, Deborah, come and stand with me. Also, Deborah also comes uh, from a different denomination. But